Hello and welcome to VSoup, the technology and virtualization podcast that's only slightly shorter than the British summer. On this episode, we're joined by a fellow V-expert and VMUG leader, one of the few people at Extrovert not to have a VCDX, it's Simon Eady. Hi, Simon. Hello there. How's it going? Very good, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Hi, so, so what, what have you been up to recently? Uh, work. Lots of work. Uh, but it's been good, really good. Uh, working on the technology that I enjoy the most at the moment, which is VROPS. So, all good. Brilliant. So, so for those, uh, very quickly, sort of shameless plug time, for those that, that um, haven't uh, met you before, uh, so sort of who are you and what do you do? Okay. Um, so, uh, as you know, I work for Extrovert. Um, I work also as the Southwest or the Bristol uh, VMUG, uh, VMUG leader. Um, also run a webinar series orientated around uh, VROPS. We've, we've done five so far. Uh, VExpert, uh, anything else, can't think of anything else pertinent right now. Yeah, that's me. Fantastic. So, what's up, so what sort of things do you cover on that sort of uh, VROPS webinar? Is that just, you know, sort of general how-tos with it? or? Uh, yeah, so we, we try and pick a, a subject <clears throat> that we think would be, I suppose, uh, attractive to an audience or, or any customer per se. Um, so, for instance, this this month we covered uh, design and deployment and the considerations around all of that. So, uh, looking at all the components, how it all comes together, the do's, the don'ts, best practice, how to how to avoid going uh, out of support, you know, all those kinds of things. So, it's sort of advice and discussion, really. How to avoid going out of support? Presumably, pay VMware lots of money. <laughs> uh, well, it's more about avoiding putting the thing in a configuration where you would not be supported, I think, is, is more what I was trying to <laughs> angle oh, for, yeah. <laughs> make, make sure you pay your bills on time. Uh, yeah, well, that helps. Top yeah. tip for the day. <laughs> where's, the fun, where, where's the fun in staying without, within supported stuff, though? That's, that's not, there's no fun in that. So, uh, I saw a tweet today that sort of said, you, you wouldn't fly in an aircraft with an unsupported engine. Yeah, the thing is, you wouldn't know. That's the truth. <laughs> uh, until so. you're until you're near about to crash, you would figure it out. Yeah, yeah, I'd say you'd probably figure it out fairly quickly. It started <laughs> to, to fall out of the sky. But um, do you find a, a lot of cu- a lot of customers actually do put themselves in a position to not be supported? Yeah, There's quite a few, I think. Um, there, there are some that sort of have taken the view of, well, they bought some software, and that's the software that they bought, they don't want any new versions, and they're going to keep it like that. And then when they upgrade their, their hypervisor or, you know, the rest of their, something else in their infrastructure changes, then and suddenly their their system doesn't work anymore. Um, and they, they seem rather pained that they then have to catch up on support. But, you know, I suppose that's that's what it's there for. It's it's support and upgrades. Uh, but no, I suppose I can see it being being a little bit annoying. I mean, you know, personally, if you bought something, you bought it, why should you have to then pay a subscription effectively on top of it? Um, You've got the other aspect as well, haven't you, about uh, whether it's a supported configuration or not. Um, <clears throat> some people like to configure things their way uh, or they don't necessarily trust uh, the vendor 100%, so they they make the tweaks that they want, and then when it breaks, they you know they make the call, and then you know when somebody looks at it, they go, hmm, you did this, we're not covering you, you know, uh, that's another aspect of support that uh, 
uh, I've seen a few times where you know the mm. customers making tweaks where they probably shouldn't. Yeah, some is, vendors are really tough about that, aren't they? You know, unless you are running an absolutely specified configuration, then they they you you won't get past first line. Um, well, there are two two things there. One, uh, why are you able to configure something in a way that's not supported? That's basically <laughs> too many nerd knobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're not supposed to do something, why let you do it? Well, there's there's a, a lot of a lot of different product. Almost every product you can do something you're not supposed to. And in my opinion, that's why we have like uh, so-called experts working on this stuff, so we don't screw it up, right? In theory, in theory, yeah. You can't make everything like idiot-proof, you know. I guess. I, I don't think any mm. anything would last in the field, personally speaking. Um, with with a lot of organisations, when a, when an IT guy, you know, your, your classic IT guy, he gets hold of a product, he wants to be able to tweak it. Uh, and look at it and do things. And most products don't really come with just a, a start-stop button. They come with, you know, configure this, do that, streamline this. Um, I don't think you'll ever get away from that. And I, I don't see anything wrong with that because um, uh, those extra features are obviously going to be able to take into account every, well, not every customer's environment, but many customer environments because I don't believe there's anything that, you know, one one thing fits all. Uh, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think as you you try to incorporate more and more edge cases, edge cases and different use cases into a product, that it's the the the, the complexity becomes unfortunately inevitable. Um, but personally, I mean that's where the, the value of good product management comes in in the you know the ability to say no and actually work out which which tweaks are worth putting in that will affect the maximum amount of customers. Um, and make you know have the the most bang for the the amount of time to to, to make that tweak. But there was a lovely um, session at, at, a, at a VMUG recently by a colleague of mine, uh, and he, he presents sort of a, a worst practices session with with VMUG. He sort of talks about different different sort of types of people, and, and one of them is the tweaker. And he does present it a little bit like a self help group. And it's like you know, hello, my name's Luca. I'm a tweaker. It's been six months since my last registry key change. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there, <laughs> there are times when people, yeah, but they'll just go and change settings. Uh, I remember years ago, a colleague of mine, there was a printer that wasn't working. He, go- he he put something into Google, something came back that vaguely looked like the printer, and there he was off trying to install DLLs for a completely different printer. <laughs> um, needless to say, nothing worked ever again. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's just the nature of our, our industry. Yeah, that's the thing, though, uh, with complexity and stuff. If, if a lot of software just has way too many things to muck about with, that's way too easy to get at. And I'm not calling out VROPs here or anything uh, in, in particular in that regard, but there's so much stuff going on in a lot of uh, the interfaces that we use that. I, I think in, in in a lot of cases, a lot of stuff could have been invo- avoided if the, those features were kind of more hidden or hidden away from the the actual uh, graphics interface we, we use to manage them. Yeah. Speaking speaking of of interfaces, death of the C sharp client. Let's just have a moment yes. of silence for that. It's <laughs> yeah. genuinely sad. It's about flaming time. <laughs> 
I, I'm on the fence with that. I know there's a lot of people who uh, who are glad to see the back of it, and other people who are lamenting it heavily. And I'm kind of I can see the value in it, but I'll probably get shot for saying that. But, mm, but I've actually, never enjoyed the web client. As a as a customer, yeah, my, myself, I actually prefer the C sharp client as well. It's a lot faster and easier to do stuff. Uh, but the yeah, HTML... that, that's that's comparing it to the current web web client. Yeah, yeah, the current web client is is hot garbage. But, yeah, uh... it... <laughs> I I completely agree. It it isn't good enough. No way close. Yeah. But the thing is, VMware has said for years now that the C sharp client is going to go away, and now they're actually finally doing it. I think that's a good thing because that means that the web client will have to be a working environment for us. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Well, well, that's it. I wonder if that'll also expedite the HTML5 client coming along. Yeah, it uh, will. It will. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to have to. Yeah. But I, don't, I just don't like... It, it's not necessarily the speed. The speed is an annoyance. It's just the layout. It reminds me of Lotus Notes. That's how much it offends me. <laughs> it, it's like someone took a, you know, a UI that was relatively intuitive easy to find stuff and thought, I need to make this different. How can we make this different? Let's make it a bit worse. <laughs> make things just that little bit, you know, not where you think they might be, just so that, uh, I don't know where it's, it's done deliberately to, to make it more of more elitist, that it actually, yeah, you do need to know what you're talking about to change something because you've got to know where the hell it is in the first place. Well, have you guys tried the H5 client? The no, thing? no, I haven't. Do that. Do that, and then report back. Is is there a chance it will make me slightly less sad? It will make you pretty happy, I think. So I assume that you you tested it out there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I have it actually running in production right now. So okay. you have ooh, check you out. Yeah. <laughs> That's very brave, is it not? Yeah, it depends on the production environment, I guess. But <laughs> I've heard nothing but good things about the HTML5 client. So it is. It is good. It's really good. It's not on feature parity yet, but once it is, it'll be my go-to client. No, in any, pretty much any uh, circumstance, to be honest. And, and if you couple, couple that with the uh, embedded client that's now running in in six, yep, that's brilliant. You don't need the Windows client anymore, to be honest. Once it reaches feature parity, that is. Of yeah, that's, that's the key. No one wants to be switching UIs to do different things. No. It's, it's a surefire way to make someone hate software. Yeah, but we're running into... We're going to do everything through serverless setups and APIs anyway, so no one needs to do anything anymore. So. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Automate all the things. Well, I suppose that actually that this sort of circles back to... Perhaps if we had something like um, Puppet or Chef actually managing the configuration of applications, then no, they wouldn't let you deploy them in an unsupported way because it would go, oh, that's wrong. I'm going to set it back. Um, so presumably, you know, it, it kind of circles that actually that's how those tools should be used to stop people from doing something um, unsupported. Yeah, basically stop people from being people. <laughs> and that's that's why even um, we have change controls to uh, change requests, all oh, because it's real easy to break stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and sort of have it 
I guess automated where where absolutely possible, um, and logged where it's not automated. Yeah, but the thing is, if you automate it wrong, you're doing it ten thousand times instead of once. <laughs> so oh, it'll it'll be really wrong. It won't be yeah. a little bit. <laughs> so, but then again, it's it's easier to roll back if you automate everything anyway. So if you you gain something from it anyway, but. But the potential for major breakage is probably bigger <laughs> with automated setups. Yeah, yeah. I guess they take they take longer to get get deployed in the first place. I mean, yeah. Simon, you, you do a bit of uh, VRA on the side, don't you? Uh, not too much, actually. That's not so much my specialty. Although my colleagues at Extrovert, a lot of those guys are uh, rather useful with it. I suppose um, they're, they're probably used to getting it right out of the box to to start with, rather than I suppose the rest of us that are having to kind of find our own way in the dark on it? Um, well, I mean, I mean I've mean, i looked at it myself, and, and when I've seen discussions going on, I'm not going to mention names or anything, but um, I think it, it varies, really, from version to version, the environment that it's going into. I don't think it's any great secret that VRA is a challenge just to get installed. Um, I know it's better with, with version 7, but I'm I'm definitely no authority on VRA. Okay. It's definitely something you should that. get a Cub Scout badge if you can get it installed. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I'll, I'll probably get my hands dirty with it pretty soon. So uh, the current design project I'm working on is probably going to involve VRA at some point. Um, actually, for uh, deploying Linux-based developer machines. Okay. Uh, so instead of instead of using kind of VDI stuff for that, they'll probably be using VRA to provide some some sort of self service portal for the developers to do, to kind of create their development environments on different versions of Linux and whatever. So that that makes a lot of sense, and that that's the whole point of those products, isn't it? It's yeah. it's it's a safe way. It's it's all templated. Everybody knows what's going on. No one's doing anything they shouldn't, and of course, it's not consuming resources that they shouldn't either. No, and that's that's also something about it. You, you can actually tear down an environment with it as well, uh, so you don't you, you're not left with lingering VMs that are three years old and no one knows if anyone are using them anymore. Without that, wanting to sound too much like an old fuddy duddy, that's what Lab Manager was was for. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Where yeah. have we moved in the last seven years? Um, Everything goes full, full circle anyway. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, but yeah, I got got thinking about the automation side the other day, and it seems that sometimes I think people are doing a lot of work that they don't need to do when actually just some sensible automation probably would have helped. So, the example, I was at a um, an event a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Tech Unplugged events, um, which were really good, sort of somewhere in between a, a, a user group and Tech Field Day. Uh, they sort of had the more interactive nature of Tech Field Day, but they're a bit bigger, um, and obviously, perhaps you know, a lot more people there. Um, but they, the session opened up with a, a guy who was talking OpenStack, and you know, in the sort of typical sort of presenter style, they said, "Yep, customer had VMware, and it was taking sixty days to provision a virtual machine." What? <laughs> and by internal, what? In, in, internal. <laughs> Cowpoo-ometer went went off the scale. I um, was like, well, yeah, is is that because VMware was bad and they had to deploy OpenStack, or because the company's business processes were bad? It's probably because they had to deploy OpenStack when the 
change came to pr- create a VM, you have to put up an environment, an entire OpenStack environment, and that took 60 days, I guess. But. Yeah, well, no, this was, the, <laughs> they wanted to go and deploy OpenStack um, as a broker to do mm. the automation, which I, I, yeah, it just seemed like an exercise in generating someone an awful lot of professional services when actually you probably could have fixed the problem. Well, would it have been a bit more of a gaffer tape solution? I don't know. But you could have fixed the problem by fixing their business, the banks, I think it was a bank, their business processes in the first place yeah. well, rather than trying to fix it by layering software upon software upon software. 60 days for a bank doesn't really surprise me, though. You know, one guy clicks the mouse button, the other guy watches the, the progress bar. Everybody's <laughs> got their own little area there in a bank. Yeah, but that, that's that's not a technology problem. That's, that's, no, a, process. that's a process thing, absolutely. Um, and I always, yeah... It's 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 drum my bang on a regular basis, but everything comes down to one of three things: it's people, process, or technology, and you can fix it with with all three of those sometimes. Um, yeah, but the, for the most part, technology isn't the problem. No, no, it, it, it's pe- people and process. Sometimes you need more people. Sometimes you need fewer people. But it also where of, you are in the world, they might fix it with more people. I also or it could be you fix it with robots. <laughs> I also don't like it when people say though the technology is the easy part. I don't like that. Uh, requires some expertise still. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and it, it does. But the thing is, it's really hard to change people and yeah. process. Yeah, it's not that hard to change technology if you want to. Yeah, there's always you have to know what you, you still have to know what you're doing. But changing the mindsets of people—that's a much tougher task. Isn't isn't that one of? Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> Isn't that one of the critical things, though? I mean, yeah, it's about people, but it's also about the right people. So if, you, if you've if you got someone trying to deploy something or have currently managed whatever it was they had and they weren't doing it with the right skills or the right knowledge, then, of course, it's going to fall over. You know, if, you, if you've got a guy that <clears throat> is used to driving a Mini and they give him a truck, <laughs> things aren't going to go well. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's a, a training thing as well or a knowledge gap or, or whatever. Yeah, there's a, but, but we kind of always, we, we try to, in a lot of ways, um, change stuff by changing technology when we could have gotten a, probably a better result by, by changing the way people do stuff or the processes or changing the guy that does stuff. I mean, <laughs> for, the mo- for the most part, we, we, we can do most things now. If people understand how to do them, <laughs> yep, yep. So, or if they're willing to do them, or flexible enough to do them, we're can, we're currently we landing rockets. We're we're landing rockets on small barges in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> that hard, is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, and how hard must be it, relatively speaking easy. Yeah, so how how hard could it be to provision a VM? I mean, come on. <laughs> Sixty days? Nah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's something. There, there's something really wrong somewhere, and it's usually people. Oh, I, I, I'm turning into into a really old grumpy guy. <laughs> well, I guess we, we can, already we, were, Christian. <laughs> uh, I guess, Chris, we kind of hijacked your whole point there, or your whole uh, thing about tech unplugged, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we do. 
yeah, no, it was a, it was it was a, a tangent worth shopping for. Um, <laughs> but but I did mention that sort of actually just at the very end of that, it's like, can we blame the architects because you've got someone that that's got a, a title of an architect that is designing technology, but they're not necessarily thinking about people or process. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> architects. <laughs> Can, can can open worms everywhere. Ah, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Where, where to go with with that? Um, those that know me, uh, um, I got a bit of an axe to grind about the job title architects. Uh, oh, not fun. because that's my, that's my new title. So have a go at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are plenty of people. I'll, I'll be very brief. Then there are plenty of oh. people who absolutely deserve that title, um, and it, and it's fitting, and it explains their role in whatever it is they're doing. But um, I'm seeing it crop up so much now that I'm kind of like, okay, well, this is kind of, is it getting to the point where we've got too many chiefs and not enough Indians? I don't know. Uh, it just kind of provokes me now that everybody and his sister seems to be an architect or want to be an architect. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But who's actually going to be doing this? And is your role really architectural orientated and, and, and all of this? It used to be something, or at least how I perceived it. If someone was an architect, wow, you're an architect, you, you must have excellent knowledge in all of the disciplines you know that that this is my take on it mind you uh you you've got perfect awareness of of the estate that you're looking at or or of the product that you're delivering and that's that but it seems like you've got architects for every little thing now i don't know if that's right or wrong but for me i ended up writing a blog post about it uh, basically saying you know when everybody's an architect no one is mm-hmm. and make, makes perfect sense but but, but it, the thing is, uh, my my current title is senior solutions architect. So I'm 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 not just an architect. I'm the gray bearded one as well. Um, <laughs> but and that's actually more and more true. Um, but in some cases, I'm architecting solutions. I, I mean, seriously, drawing them up, trying to figure out sizing everything, and figure out how the, all of the parts can fit together and if they can at all. And other times, I'm basically a glorified consultant it depends on the kind of what kind of setting you're in and what the client or customer wants so in my case that it's it that's the title but it's not always the role if there's a there's a semantic difference there i guess but i suppose i was thinking more um not that it's obvious i was thinking more about um people who work uh, for a customer perhaps rather than uh, consultancies or something where they have you know lead solutions architect lead architect mm-hmm. lead consultant etc etc because they're whoever whoever they are they will they will do the job that they're given to at that given time depending on what works coming their way mm-hmm. but there, there are lots of roles in businesses or you know large and small where the job title architect seems to be coming up more and more because it's attractive um, mm-hmm. Yeah. People want that in their in their job title, and I can understand that. Uh, but I'm kind of, I suppose, I'm just being a miserable old fart, and just saying, hang on a minute, how many do we actually need? Uh, that, that's really my query. Do you think that's driven by the almost never-ending posts of, you know, if you're not a cloud broker, architect, DevOps ninja, then you're going to be jobs in five years' time? Posts that you see on LinkedIn every five minutes. So if yeah. you change your title, you're you're fine. Fixed. That that would explain a lot of my title changes last few years, though. But okay. (laughs) Yeah, there there seems to be a lot of 
I don't know if it's necessarily scaremongering, but you know, of the if you don't understand insert cloud technology here in five years' time, then you'll be redundant. Uh, kind of posts that you see, and they're a bit clickbaity, I know. Um, oh, that that kind of goes hand in. I, I agree. I think it's it's a little bit um, scaremongering, whatever you want to call it, whatever to suit the market trend to, to get people to click. I don't know. But I guess it goes hand in hand with some of the other wild statements that you hear. Um, this is another thing I saw. Or I saw a really great article by, uh, by the guy, um, the blog poster, Ethereal Mind. I forget his real Greg, name. Greg Farrer. Yeah, really great guy, uh, really great blogger. He did a great um, article on about private clouds and the success of them and why – because there's lots of noise at the moment, uh, and there has been for years about, well, if you're not in the cloud, who are you? You're nobody. You're not in the cool club. And, and why, aren't, why haven't you migrated you know, out of your private cloud into, into the public cloud? You know, this is the way to go. <clears throat> and, and he was kind of kicking back and saying, well, hang on a minute. The reason there aren't any success stories banged around about private clouds is they're private. Um, and every customer I've been to, um, they have large or small, but very successful private clouds. Yeah, they're in, in differing states of repair in terms of versions and stuff, but they're very happy and they're very comfortable with it. And it's their private cloud, but they're not jumping on a pedestal saying, oh my God, you need this. They've already got it. They're happy with it. Um, and I, I, I'm kind of leaning more towards um, hybrid cloud. That That's my personal opinion. But I thought that article by the Ethereum mine was, was right on the money personally. Yeah, but I, I think what we're often kind of forgetting in our own little technology echo chamber uh, is that most of this cloud stuff, so private clouds are, are fine if you use them as an actual private cloud. If not, it's just a data center. So <laughs> there's a definition there, you know. But but the thing is, most customers or mo most clients or most IT consumers don't develop their own software. They buy software. They buy stuff they need and use it. Sometimes they buy stuff they don't need and use that as well, but that's a different story. Uh, the thing is, we, we're talking, everyone's talking about cloud-native apps and DevOps and whatever, and we're kind of forgetting everyone that's not doing their own development and doing their own stuff. And they're stuck with whatever legacy applications and systems they have already, and they need to continue supporting them. It's not like they're going to just go, go out and buy some DevOps one day. You know, it's, it, it's, <laughs> it doesn't work that. But people think it does. Go, go to the store and buy a sack of DevOps? Yeah. <laughs> I want a kilo, kilo of DevOps and some SecOps as well. <laughs> Three DevOps, please. Yeah. But... It, it, the reality is that most most smaller businesses don't do that. And that's where the hybrid cloud stuff comes in, you know, because that's why Microsoft is doing really well with Office 365. Well, it, it definitely it's, makes sense, you know, in those scenarios. Why, why should you spend time managing a couple of exchange servers? Yeah, backing, that, backing it up, keeping Doesn't make huge generations of this storage. Yeah, it's, yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Buy it. Buy it as a service. I mean, you have a car. You don't. You don't. You're not your own mechanic. 
you go to the auto shop if you need to get it fixed. So, but you still drive a car. So, and the car just, physically exists. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wonder how how many. Uh, I get the impression with Office three six five they're absolutely killing it in mm-hmm. small business, small enterprise because, like you say, managing an exchange in anywhere is is well personally painful. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, if you can if you can have that in a reliable cloud like three six five, then that's mm-hmm. just a win. Yeah. Um, you can spend your time doing stuff that's actually useful for your business instead of creating mailboxes. Uh, amen to that. Uh, <laughs> so, but it doesn't mean you have to buy a kilo of DevOps. <laughs> so I suppose it, it comes down, of, doesn't it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it seems like everyone's kind of forgetting that everyone isn't Google or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever the latest thing is. <laughs> Snapchat. <laughs> <clears throat> I thought everybody wanted to be like Netflix. That was the last thing I heard, actually. Yeah, you don't hear big things about Snapchat's uh, IT. (laughs) It's probably a bunch of guys sitting around looking at all your photos of you naked. I was going to say, is is there an office building called Dick Pick House? (laughs) That has to be in Scotland or something. (laughs) It's windy. But you'll you'll probably get a deep fright as well. Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I I have no idea what Snapchat IT is like, to be honest. <laughs> Might be a interesting change, man. They probably bought some DevOps. Yeah, I'm sure. They, they definitely did some DevOps. <laughs> some kind of very very agile or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But uh, we <laughs> We get lost in our own, as I call it, the, our own echo chamber of the IT guys who talk about the next thing all the time and forget that people are actually still not using the last thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there'll be people that, you know, there are still people running Server 2003. You know, that's an operating system that's 13 years old. Mm. And they're quite happy running it. And, it, and uh, just last year it went to, they, they announced no more, no more updates, so... Yeah, it makes it easier to run it. You have to. You don't have to patch it anymore. No, right? I don't worry about it. It's as good as it's going to get. Yeah, doesn't get better than unsupported. <laughs> oh dear. Saw some some interesting stuff uh, the other day on the. Uh, so for the V experts, we've we've got a big uh, Slack team. It's uh, surprisingly busy at the moment, but there's some very various good conversations. Um, there was one particular one. Um, around, you know, what to do with with your career. You know, if you're an end user, and so you know you are the expert. You have, you know, you are master of your domain. You might even be an architect. Um, where to go from there? And there was sort of various suggestions about, you know, depending on what you like doing. Whether you want to go to a vendor, whether you want to go to a um, a reseller, whether you want to go to a sort of systems integrator, small business, big uh, big business. Um, and I actually figured, seeing as we've got pretty much one from every corner um, on the uh, on the recording today, it might be interesting just to sort of say, uh, you know, what you think is the the best best thing about being either you know sticking as an end user, working for a, a reseller SI, or indeed a vendor. It depends, I guess, on some of your personal goals as well. I mean, yeah, yeah. 
some of the perks of of uh, of course being an end user is uh not driving around to customers all day just from a personal perspective. So the same same office and uh, getting getting home. Yeah, and when when you time. implement that you when, you, when you implement implement something, also you get to like own it and take it through its life cycle. Yeah, I suppose closure is something that uh, <laughs> <laughs> closure. Yeah, from a <laughs> I finally got some closure this weekend when I killed my sap environment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, being able to destroy like the last grey server in your your data center, um, you know, in an office office space style beating in the, at the back of the car park, I think is probably quite a satisfying thing to do. It is. I've done it. Cool. I, <laughs> that. I actually took a server out of the server room and, and jumped on it and smashed it with a hammer. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But quite, quite actually, it's quite, uh, quite um, relieving in a way, and it's kind of. You enter a sun-like state if you crush a server. <laughs> yeah, it's but it, 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 that, that, was, that was when I was a client, you know, or an end user. I, I've bit, bit done consulting. I've done. Uh, I, I was uh, the network manager for a shipping company, and now I'm back to doing consulting work again. So I've been on both sides of that. And there, as far as I'm concerned, there was a time and a place for everything. You know, it's, when I switched going over to the customer side, that was because I was sick and tired then of as Ed mentioned driving around and chasing kind of the next billable hour um, and th this was in 2003 right um, so it was a three years after your Y2K stuff and everyone had used all their money in case the, the world were, was supposed to end so <laughs> uh, and there, there wasn't that much money to chase around okay, so, so that, there weren't that many billable hours to find no so then again, I spent eight years as a customer, but that kind of rekindled my interest in doing consultancy work again because I specialized in using the VMware stuff and ESX back then, which propelled me back into consultancy eight years later. So I've kind of done gone full circle on that as well. Simon, what about you? Um, well, I've only been doing uh, systems integration aspect or consultancy now for a couple of years, um, and I'm loving it. For me, it's um, I'm very happy, very, um, I suppose, fulfilled, thinking of all of the other kind of fancy words. Um, I, <laughs> Just I enjoy your boss is going to be listening, aren't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um no, it's a good job. I'm very happy with it. But I, I take it what they said, um, what the other guys said. It really is what you want and what you're happy with doing. Uh, uh, so take Ed. You know, he's happy to for the routine. You know, he doesn't want to drive around. For me, I enjoy knowing that after a, a certain period of time, after an engagement or a project, that there'll be something new to go to in a different place, new people, new project, new things. I find that really interesting. Um, and that, that that's cool. And and obviously the travel. Um, that can be cool. Uh, I haven't been abroad an awful lot yet, but I'm sure that will come. So, you know, I suppose it's, in one sense for me, personally, it's a little bit of an adventure as well. Um, yeah, that, that's how I view it right now. Um, used to be a customer, that, that was kind of cool, but yeah, now I'm, I'm definitely the happiest I've been in my career. And uh, when you're a customer at a technology company that isn't generally enterprise IT technology, 
Um, also, you get to do a lot of cool different projects, but without the chasing customers and, and, and uh, begging for business and stuff like that, uh, which is kind of the position I'm, I'm in uh, for, a, yeah, for that, a, a medical tech company. Yeah, that's that's what, kind of what happened with me in, uh, in the that shipping company as well, because I didn't have that much of an IT uh, strategy or kind of holistic view on IT at all when I started working there. So I, I kind of spent eight years as pretty much an internal consultant doing all the, the, the fun stuff of building a, a couple of data centers and virtualizing everything and kind of getting everything up, up and running and, and, and in a proper way. But then... Uh, once the kind of funding and all this started to dry up, and so we're, we're really happy where, with where we are right now. That's when I started looking around again and saying, okay, I'm not going to sit here watching this stuff work for the next three years. Yeah, I would be bored so by that, that. So as long as you have interesting internal projects, I can see the the interest in, in staying internal and, and not doing the consultancy stuff. But yeah. once once you're reduced to just looking at it and patching it from <laughs> once in a while, that kind of gets boring really quick. Yeah, I'd be super bored by that too. And the thing is, is a lot of times it's almost like we're consultants. We buy so many other companies and wind up with new people and new data centers and stuff like that. But uh, the cool part is you don't have to convince them. You tell them this is what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So there, I, I could never just do kind of, uh, let's keep the lights on IT. Um, that would, I would go completely crazy doing that. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought I'd be the same. I know other people that find that, they're quite happy with that. Yeah. But, but and, for me, it's definitely not for me. Fair enough. Uh, some people are accountants as well, right, Chris? So, <laughs> <clears throat> I, 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 just, I still hope I never meet your wife. In, in, <laughs> I know you're be too upset. Like next week, for instance, I'm meeting a shipment of 40-something Cisco switches in Vietnam to set up in a new factory. That's cool for a customer. I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied doing stuff like that as a customer. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, and that's certainly the more, the more interesting side, I think, of, uh, of, of customer IT. I mean, from, from, a, from a vendor point of view, you get to specialize in a particular technology. Um, I think you know resellers get to play with much wider selection of technology, particularly if they're looking at the full stack. Um, and you have probably more scope. I mean, you know, you do become somewhat more focused um, as working for a vendor, uh, but you still you still do get out to see a lot of different customers um, and see a lot of different implementations. And you know, there's still very much aspects for uh, opportunities for learning. Um, but it does tend to be down a more a more single route. Or you could work for a, a bank and take sixty days to deploy a VM. Exactly. <laughs> Six feet <laughs> every That's my work done. You could work for a for a for a vendor as well and just tell everyone to screw themselves. So that's also a career move. It move. It seems. So, okay. Fair enough. If if you're that inclined to do that, feel free to do so. But. It gets tiresome after a while. So Twitter's been an interesting place recently, speaking of vendors. <laughs> yeah, it, but it, it always is, isn't it? 
it, it's it is almost going back to the old sort of EMC NetApp days of about five or six years ago. Hmm. I I just <clears throat> I get entirely turned off and frustrated with it at the same time. It's it's I kind of understand why it happens, but I don't understand why it needs to happen. Um, it doesn't I, need to happen, and that's the, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I don't like it, and I don't think it comes across well for anybody on either side of the fence, whoever it may be. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say. Otherwise, I'll be off on for hours ranting about it. As a customer, it really turns me off to to whoever is selling the thing that's talking bad about somebody else. It, it could actually steer me away from from that product. Yeah, yeah, I think I have the same kind of reaction to it as well. It's I don't want to buy stuff from people who behave like idiots. To be honest. <laughs> It's a good way to put it. Yeah, it does. It does seem a little bit odd. I must admit, um, it's not something I personally want to engage in, um, and that's that's generally why I don't. Yeah, it's <laughs> a pretty easy way. Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's uh, everything comes bites and back you in, bites you in the in the behind at some point anyway. So this it, this is the thing. I mean, ultimately. You have to realise that it, this is an amazingly small industry. Uh, oh. Even though it's, it sometimes seems huge, it actually ends up being very, very small. Uh, yeah, that's what she said. She's <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> happy with it anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you uh, don't have to tell everyone how big it is, though. That's <laughs> makes it makes it seem smaller when you finally see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that though Chris because um, I was having the same discussion the other day about the size of the industry and I'm not speaking specifically about vendors or anything like that I'm thinking more about individuals who how you carry yourself you know in, in Twitter or, or in LinkedIn or, or at a VMUG or anything you know, if you end up uh, I suppose shooting your mouth off or, or all these kinds of things. The community isn't so big that that you can do that for very long before it, it doesn't go well for you. Uh, and again, I don't really understand that kind of stance. Um, yeah, it, the community, yeah, the, the, the virtualization or, or VMware community, it's big, but it's not so big that you can afford to um, piss everybody off, I think, really. It's, <laughs> I mean, things have a way of backfiring at some point if you don't actually think about what you're doing. So, if it's intentional, then fine. You're shooting your own foot off at some point or head off. But if you want to do that, feel free. But don't expect me to follow you. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, guys. Uh, thanks for listening to V Soup number fifty nine, and thanks to our guest Simon Edy for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. And do uh, you have anything you want to uh, plug, like a blog or, or uh, anything of the sort? Uh, I suppose I'll just plug the, the VROPS webinar that I do uh, monthly, if that's something that you're interested in. And I blog at definite.co.uk with uh, my colleague and good friend, Sam McGowan. That's it. Okay. And um, in a, you can, as usual, catch us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, or vsoup.net. Thanks for listening, guys.